You're listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. Good morning, church. A happy new year to all of you. There are two verses uh, to this morning. The first verse comes from Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst. And reading from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. Uh, very happy New Year, everyone. The Lord bless you. So good to see all of us here. I mean, just look around, right? You see the whole hall is like packed. It's amazing. Yeah, okay. You can, yes, you can uh, actually look around. That'll be wonderful. <laughs> uh, just one correction to announcement that was made earlier. So the slide showed uh, 15 to 17 June is the church camp. So it's actually one day longer. So it's 15 to 18 June. All right, so just take note of that. Just a slight thing to correct. Now, uh, 2023, this marks the second year of our Every Member Church journey. Um, I hope you have found the first year uh, convicting, liberating. Now, personally, as I was thinking about our first year on this uh, Every Member Church journey, I, I realized that it really tested us as a gospel-centered church. You know, it's one thing to look to the gospel, right, to what Jesus has done, and to receive the forgiveness, to uh, be assured of that cleansing, to be confident that you're accepted no matter what. But then it's another thing to look to the gospel to do, right? So when it comes to doing, I find that we often revert back to a works righteousness. I mean, oftentimes it's not like it's gratitude for what Christ has done that motivates our doing. But again, it goes back to, you know, what others might think about us, uh, you know, a desire to prove ourselves, and so on and so forth, things like that. So last year, you know, we looked at what it means for the church to be a body, right? So as a body, every member belongs, yet it takes great courage to actively pursue that belonging in a community full of sinners, as a body, we, de- we depend on and rely upon the spiritual gifts given to each one of us, yet it takes great groundedness to discover those gifts and exercise those gifts, right? Otherwise, we, we easily form our identity around those gifts, and we either become uh, proud or we become extremely crushed or disappointed. As a body, we are called to pursue flourishing, yet it takes great perseverance to keep at it despite failure, despite pushback, despite all the setbacks that come along the way. And these things, right, this great courage, this great groundedness, this great perseverance, where do they come from? Right? Are they found in ourselves? Are they found in our ability? Are they found in our experiences? And we realize that we are meant to draw these things from the gospel. That that same amazing grace that has not only saved us, but it's also exalted us, It has made us somebody's alongside Christ. 
And if we want to be serious about becoming an every-member church, then we've got to be doubly serious about the gospel. And this is where I find that thinking of ourselves as a church body is not quite enough, right? It's not quite sufficient. Now, the picture of the church as a body, it communicates the dynamics of the church, right? Uh, everyone belongs, every gifting is vital, and every member of the body is actively bringing flourishing. But the church should also have that sense of the divine, right? That sense of awesome privilege in our calling to bring flourishing. That sense that God is in the midst of all that we do. And this is where I want to add to our understanding of what it means to be a church, that not only are we a body, but we are also God's royal priesthood. You and I, we are priests unto God. Now, when I talk about priests, I don't know what comes to your mind, right? Uh, maybe it's old men, long beards, uh, very funny-looking robes. Uh, they look very solemn, very self-important, right? Maybe pictures of that uh, come to your mind. And I think we all need some help understanding what it means to be priests, especially in our day and age and in the context of our church. So over these three Sundays, I'm going to walk us through some of the basics about this priesthood in the Bible. This morning, we're going to look at the tabernacle. The tabernacle is like the, the, the priest's uh, workplace. Uh, next Sunday, we'll be looking at the high priest, who is that hit honcho, that main guy among the priests. And then on the third Sunday, we'll be looking at the ordinary Israelites in the Old Testament and what it means when God called them a royal priesthood. And I really do pray that you would be amazed afresh at this inheritance that we have in Jesus, that you regain that sense of divine privilege and divine dignity that we are God's royal priesthood and we are called to shine in this church or in your family, in the community, the city, the nations. So with that, let me just pray for us and then we'll get started. Lord, Father, on account of what Christ has done, Lord, His work, the blood He spilled, Lord, for the sake of His glory, would you open our ears to hear your word? Lord, would you let your word do a deep work in our hearts, Lord? Lord, shape us to be the kind of church that you desire us to be, and we ask all this in Jesus' name, and all of God's people say, amen. Now, today's uh, sermon is titled, Sacred Spaces. Uh, what are sacred spaces? Right, if you, if you look at the Bible, some examples quickly come to mind. You know, there's Moses and the burning bush. Uh, you know, God encounters Moses speaking to him through a burning bush. And one of the first things Moses is told is, take off your sandals, for you are on holy ground. Right, it's a sacred space. Another example is from Isaiah 6, and the prophet Isaiah has a vision of the holy God upon his uh, heavenly throne. And Isaiah's response, seeing all of that, was to cry out, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. And Isaiah had stumbled upon a sacred space. Now, sacred spaces are holy spaces, right? These are, are places where heaven meets earth where the reality of God is so strong that you are humbled into reverence. Now, I think all of us have an instinctual understanding of sacred spaces. Right? If you were to imagine being called into the principal's office or being called into the office of the CEO of your company, right? there's that sense of fear that grips you. 
Before you step into the office, you go to the toilet first, you need to you know, empty your bladder. You take a thorough look at yourself in the mirror, make sure nothing's in your teeth. And then maybe as you look in the mirror, you even give yourself a, a pep talk, right? You, okay, you know what? You got this, you can do this, All right, let's go. But then when you step into the office, you know, there's that feeling of self-consciousness that is so strong, right? And so you don't sit until you're invited to, you don't speak until you're spoken to, and your heart's probably pumping a, a bit faster than usual. Now, why are we so affected when we are in such situations? Right? Is it the office space itself? I mean, the, the layout of the office probably does play a part, but the presence, it's the presence of the person himself that makes this office space seem so sacred, so holy. Right? It's totally different from all the other common spaces in the office. Now, in this way, we do have some instinctual understanding of sacred spaces. But the question is, when it comes to our Christian faith, where are these sacred spaces? Where are these spaces where the reality of God is so strong? Are these sacred spaces found in church buildings? Are they found in historical sites, like in Jerusalem or on the island of Patmos and things like that? Or are these sacred spaces found just in our personal prayer closets. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to lead us to look at uh, sacred spaces in the Bible. And I want to zero in on three of perhaps the most important, significant sacred spaces in the Bible. Uh, number one, I want to look at the tabernacle and then the garden. And finally, uh, the sacred spaces found in the New Testament. And I want to briefly walk us through these sacred spaces, drawing from different passages in the Bible. And I know it may feel perhaps a little dry along the way, but do try your best to follow along, uh, because at the end, I want to draw some applications for us to take into our daily lives as priests. So let's begin firstly with the tabernacle. So the tabernacle uh, was like a mobile temple. It was made of cloth. It was essentially like a tentage, right? It was easy to pack up. It was easy to set up again, uh, especially since the Israelites were traveling from place to place to place. Now, I imagine most of us are probably more familiar with the temple rather than the tabernacle. But actually, the tabernacle is probably the clearest expression of a sacred space in the Old Testament. You see, because God provides that detailed explanation on how the tabernacle was to be constructed, how it was to be serviced by the priests, and how it was to be attended to by the Israelite people. And God makes the purpose of the tabernacle clear in Exodus 25. He says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. And so the tabernacle is God's dwelling place. Right? You might say it's the house of God in the midst of these people, of his people. Now, I want to give us an overview of the tabernacle, and I have some visuals that I hope would help us understand why the tabernacle was structured in this way. All right, so firstly, we have the court of the tabernacle, and this is like the surrounding fence around the parameter of the tabernacle and the outer court. Now, notice that there's only one entrance. Then as you come through that entrance, you enter the outer court. And as you cross through the outer court, you finally arrive at the tabernacle itself, right? And there's a whole chapter in Exodus dedicated to the construction of this vital part of the sacred space. 
The tabernacle itself is split into two parts. I think we're familiar with this. The holy place and the most holy place. Now, the most holy place is where God's presence was most concentrated. But in order to get to the most holy place, you had to cross through the various sections. And this was not so straightforward. Not everyone could even get through the entrance. Right? Numbers 3 verse 38 tells us that the high priests and their sons, they were supposed to camp at the entrance to guard this entire sacred space. And so if you weren't fit for worship, right? maybe you had some skin disease, or your attire was not appropriate, or you were for some reason carrying an, a dead animal with you, right? you would not be allowed to enter. And specifically, outsiders, right? those who were not worshippers, those who were not circumcised, they were to be put to death if they came near to the entrance. So that's how serious it was. Now, if you managed to clear the entrance, then you had to pass through fire and water. Right, the fire symbolized through the, the bronze altar. And that was the first thing you would encounter as you entered the tabernacle. And the fire at the altar was kept burning 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And on the altar, as you came by it, you would see animal sacrifices. You would see blood being consumed in the fire. And through that whole spectacle, you would rem be reminded of your sin. And that this is what a holy God does to sinners. He consumes them. And so for us to escape such judgment, the altar tells us that blood must be spilled. Now, after you get through the bronze altar, you would then encounter the bronze basin, right? That symbolize, symbolizes the water. Uh, this you wouldn't touch. This is for the priests, right? They would go there, they would wash their hands, wash their feet before they go into the tabernacle, or they would wash just their hands before they offered a sacrifice at the altar. And again, this talk speaks to us about being cleansed. Now, once you clear the bronze altar and the bronze basin, you would arrive at the tabernacle itself. But yet again, in order to enter, you had to be either the high priest or you had to be the priest on duty. And you would need to go through these thick veils in order to enter the holy place. The most holy place was out of the question, right? Only the high priest was allowed to enter and only once a year. And this was also partitioned by a thick veil. Now, as you look at all these layers of the tabernacle, you realize that entering into God's presence was not a simple, straightforward affair in the Old Testament. Right? If you were deemed unclean, oops, sorry. If you were deemed unclean, you wouldn't even make it past the entrance. If you were clean, you could only make it, sorry, make it as far as the bronze basin but only the priests, only those who are set apart in holiness, only they could go even further. Now, today at a personal level, I believe those three categories still apply to us, right? You, you probably know what it's like to feel unclean. Uh, maybe you feel that, that, being, that, that sense of being stained with guilt, with condemnation for your sins. You feel worthless. Your conscience pricks you. You feel unwelcomed. You don't belong in God's presence. But we also know what it's like to feel clean, right? These are the times when our conscience doesn't nag us. You know, we are less self-conscious. We have got nothing to hide. We've got nothing to fear. We're just enjoying life. And many of us aspire towards this category. We just want to be clean without our sin haunting us. But then there's that final category, and that is to be holy, holy. 
This is when you are so aware that your life is not your own, that you belong entirely to God, that He is your Father and you are His Son, His servant. And being set apart for God is a reality to you. Now, which category do you belong to right now? Right? Which category do you also aspire? Do you pursue? In Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Right? Jesus is not talking about the perfect in heart, like those who never sin, but those whose hearts are purely committed, purely pursuing God. So my encouragement to us, pursue holiness, people, and see God. Now, the tabernacle was structured in that way to communicate that only those who are called by God, only those who are set apart for God, only those who are holy can draw near to God in the sacred space. And it's important that we recognize that only the holy may draw near to God. Let's move now to the second super significant sacred space in the Old Testament, and that is the garden. Now we're going all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, and what we realize here is that the tabernacle, that wasn't God's first dwelling place among men. It wasn't even his first, that first sacred space where man encountered God. After God brings creation into being, he creates Adam and he puts him in Eden. Now specifically, he puts him in the garden in Eden. And the garden is filled with animals and plants and trees. And outside the garden, outside Eden, is what I call the wild lands, right? These are the unexplored, the unknown, the untamed lands outside of Eden. And from Eden flowed this great river, right? But this, the water here, it wasn't for cleansing. It was for enjoyment and it was to give life. Now, if you remember Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, God puts Adam in the garden to work it and to keep it. Right? To work the garden, we understand, because it's, you know, it's just pretty straightforward. Adam would have to cultivate the land, have to take care of the animals and the trees and all of those things. Right? But to keep the garden, now that was about guarding. It was about protecting. It was about safe, uh, safeguarding and keeping the garden safe. So just like the high priest and his sons who were encamped in front of the, the, the tabernacle, Adam was to safeguard this sacred space from any contaminating or harmful influences. But we know Adam fails to do this when he allows the serpent to enter the garden and to pollute it. And it is only when Adam and Eve are thrown out of the garden that we see clearly the flaming sword defending Eden. But that sword was supposed to have been Adam. He was the one who was supposed to have guarded the garden. Now, as you look at, at the structure of the garden, you realize that it's, it looks a lot like the structure of the tabernacle itself. And that's intentional because the Garden of Eden is meant to be like a prototype, right? A beta version of the tabernacle. And you realize that once again, it's in the deepest part of Eden in the garden that God walks and speaks with Adam and Eve, right? In that way, the garden was like the most holy place where man could draw near to God. Now, this is the second significant sacred space in the Old Testament, and you can tell that the tabernacle is modeled after it, but the garden also rem reminds us that before sin, right, before the need for altars and basins and cleansing, 
God had already intended to mingle freely with man. And he intended to do this not only in the garden, but everywhere across the earth. And this is why he commanded Adam, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Right? Not just the garden, fill the earth. God intended the whole earth to be his tabernacle, his dwelling place, the place where man could encounter him. But then sin comes into the picture and the garden is eventually replaced with the tabernacle. And it seems like God's plan for the earth, for the whole earth to be his tabernacle has to be aborted. Now we come to the third section of sacred spaces, which is at the turn of the New Testament. Now in the New Testament, the concept of sacred spaces develops really fast, really quickly. Right? When we come to the New Testament, we no longer hear of the tabernacle. It has been replaced by the temple. By the time we open the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the time uh, you realize that the temple had already been destroyed one time. It's already been rebuilt, and it's now already been renovated even. So this temple was the pride of Israel, and it was the center of everything they did, not only religiously, but also politically and even economically. And it was in such a time that the Gospel of John tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us, and we have seen his glory. Jesus is first introduced to us as the word of God dwelling, tabernacling among us. And we realize along the way that it is the same Jesus who goes berserk in the temple, flipping tables, chasing people out, driving out the merchants, declaring that the temple had become a den of thieves. And Jesus, the same Jesus who would go on to prophesy that even this temple, this rebuilt, renovated temple, would one day be destroyed. But the most bizarre thing that Jesus would do was to declare, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. Now, for those of us who are familiar with this passage from John chapter 2, you realize that, and you know that, Jesus was referring to himself as the temple. And sure enough, Jesus would be executed, put to death, laid in the grave, only to rise to life again three days later, just as he had said. And what this tells us is that Jesus is the true, the greater temple, the true, the greater tabernacle. And now it is through Jesus that we bring our worship, our thanksgiving, and our offerings to God. And with this Jesus is the forgiveness of our sins, the cleansing that we need, the holiness we long for. Jesus is the true and better tabernacle. And as if to emphasize this truth, the, the physical temple that the Jews had, it was utterly destroyed less than 50 years after. Until today, the temple is yet to be rebuilt. Jesus is the true and better temple. But then one day, Jesus ascends into heaven and and, that, and then he takes his place at the right hand of God and we are left wondering, where is our temple now? Right? How do we meet this God? Where do we go to find forgiveness and cleansing and how will we worship? And the answer to our questions arrives on the day of Pentecost with the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit fills every believer and once again, God tabernacles in our midst. But now the reality is that whoever puts their faith in Jesus he or she is indwelt, filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Apostle Paul says, 
I puts it like this, right? Or do you not know? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And suddenly, you and I, we have this immense privilege of ourselves being that sacred space. Our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And that means that you and I, we now have such access to God, access which is not limited to any location, is not restricted by any rituals or anything like that, but now we can come freely to God. And this reality is not just true for us individually, but also corporately as a church. Paul says, for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them, just like with the tabernacle, and walk among them, just like he did in the Garden of Eden. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, this means that whenever we come together, right, whether in this worship hall, whether in uh, June 15 to 18, right, in JB for the, for the church camp, right, whether we are meeting in our homes for cell group meetings, God is in our midst. And we are gathering no longer just as an organization or just as a body, right, where we celebrate seeing one another, we rejoice at the different giftings we see in our midst, and we praise God for the flourishing that happens through our service. But when we gather, there is that awe-filled privilege that God himself is in our midst. Now, people, we are both individually and corporately God's sacred space on this earth. Wherever we are, but especially when we come together, God dwells in our midst. And this morning, our gathering here is a sacred space. God is among us. Now, what does this mean for us practically? Right? So what if we are that sacred space? How does this shape our roles as priests? I'm going to lead you right now through three application points uh, on our priestly roles. Firstly, as you've heard from all these uh, examples of biblical sacred spaces, the first application, would you guard this sacred space? Adam had to keep the garden, but he failed to treasure the commandment that God had spoken to him, and he allowed the serpent to enter the garden. Similarly, you know, we read some of the things that happened in the temple. Priests accepting bribes, priests abusing their power, priests allowing blemished, deformed animals to be sacrificed on the altar, priests even allowing the blatant worship of idols in the temple. How could such things have happened? But in that same way, just as Adam did, these priests had not treasured the word of God. They had not paid attention to it. They had not lived by it. They had forsaken God's word to pursue their own corrupt desires. And as a result, they failed to guard the sacred space as they should have. And the dwelling place of God was destroyed and the people of God together with it. Now, people, in the same way, if there is something that is most critical this year, right? if there's something most crucial this year, it is that we root ourselves deeper in His Word, treasure His Word, read and savor it, and by so doing, guard yourself, guard your family, guard your church, and set yourself apart for the Lord. Now, you may have heard this already, but... This year, we are using a devotional by D.A. Carson. Now, we've used this before, but it is so rich 
that even reading it for the second, the third time is still so beneficial. Now, for some of us, you might find that what he's writing, what he's saying is really difficult. And by all means, we have also provided other resources on that webpage when you scan, scan the QR code. But the main thing here is to read the word. Immerse yourself in the word of God. Understand the word, treasure the word, and apply that word. Be doers of the word to safeguard this privileged, sacred space. And this is something we must do, not just individually, but we must do it together. That's the first application. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. So as priests, let us guard this sacred space according to God's word. Now, the second thing we must do as priests is would you draw near to God? Now, this is the privilege that only priests enjoy. You know, sometimes people come up to me and tell me that I'm so fortunate that I'm in full-time ministry with the church and I get what they're saying, right? Uh, It is a privilege, it is a blessing, it is helpful for my soul. But sometimes I get the sense that maybe people think that full-time ministers are like the priests of the Old Testament, that only we are the ones who get to enjoy drawing near to God, that only we get to work and live in the presence of God and nothing could be further from the truth. People, Christ shed His blood. He allowed His flesh to be torn so that you could be reconciled to the Father. And one of the benefits we enjoy through Jesus' sacrifice is to be able to draw near to God, to enjoy intimacy with Him, to know the Father, to know the Son, to know the Spirit. And this is our privilege as priests of God in this sacred space. Now, even Old Testament priests, they could only draw so near to God, right? They were stuck. They couldn't, there was a limit they couldn't cross. But we are welcomed in all the way to come before His throne, and we realize it is a throne of grace. Now, people, would you make this your goal? Make this your ambition this new year? Would you structure your life such that you give time, you give space to draw near to God? that you would enjoy the privilege of being God's chosen priest, right? And and when we come together each Sunday, would you also make that your goal? That the one thing you desire is to encounter God, to meet with Him, to enjoy Him, to gaze upon His glory and the beauty of His holiness. Would you make that your goal this year? And for those of us who are serving in church, whether you're on stage, right, you're preaching, leading the service, worship leading, scripture reading, whether you're at the back end on projections, on slide, praying for us in intercessory teams, whether you're serving in hospitality or in agape and on the sales ministry or with the interest groups, would you serve not only with a love for the church body, not only to bless and support one another, but would you serve with the goal of drawing near to God and drawing others near to Him? Now, that's the second application. As priests, you have the immense privilege of drawing near to God. And would you enjoy that privilege and enjoy your God? Finally, we come to the third role as priests. And people, would you shine everywhere? Earlier, I talked about God's plan in Genesis, right? God had this plan to mingle freely with men not only in the Garden of Eden, but everywhere all over the world. And when sin came into the picture, it seemed like that plan had been 
had to be aborted. But now, because of Jesus, because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that plan is very much alive. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and wherever we go, God's presence goes with us. And as we shine for Jesus, whether it's through our good works, whether it's through sharing the gospel and making it loud, whether it's just through bringing common grace flourishing, wherever we may be, the words of the prophet Habakkuk will move towards fulfillment. For the earth will be filled, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God's plan from the beginning is still in place. He desires that the earth be filled with the brightness of his glory as his people, his dwelling place, as they shine his presence everywhere, not only in the church buildings, but even at home, even in the workplace, even in your neighborhoods, even in the city and beyond. And as we are faithful to shine that light as that royal priesthood, as that every member church, he will be faithful for, to draw people to himself so that they too might enjoy him in the beauty of his holiness. Now, people, in a moment's time, we will be taking the communion together. And I just want to invite the worship team to come up and take their place. You know, this will be the first time we partake of the communion together this year. And if there is one thing I would like us to hold dear on this first day of this new year, it is this. God's grace is enough. God's grace is enough. At the start of the sermon, I spoke about how, you know, when it comes to doing, we tend to put the gospel aside and we turn back to our old idols, our old motivations. We do not out of gratitude for the grace shown to us, but we still do it to try and meet the deep desires of our hearts and we go back to a works righteousness. And later in the sermon, as you know, perhaps as I challenged you to take up your role as priest, to guard this sacred space, to draw near to God, to shine everywhere, maybe your first thought was, can I do this? Am I adequate? Will I be successful at doing such spiritual things? And maybe you thought back and you recounted how difficult it was to read the Bible consistently last year. How difficult it was to draw near to God at the expense of drawing near to some other pleasure or some other busyness they had to attend to. And how difficult it was to be a faithful witness, shining for Christ all the time, at work, at home, and so on. And in light of these things, perhaps you're saying, this is too hard. I can't do this. I can't be that priest that I'm supposed to. And you know what? You're, you're absolutely right. You can't do this. Right? This is beyond you. And I would be really concerned if you were to look at your own abilities, you look at your past successes, and you say, I can do this. Right? That would be arrogance, self-righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, although he knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the what? The righteousness of God. So that in Jesus we might become the what? The righteousness of God. So that we might become the what? We might become the righteousness of God. And you know, it takes a certain standard, a certain perfection 
for you and I to be the temple of the Holy Spirit takes a certain purity for God to make this church His dwelling place. And it's not that you and I are just good enough as ourselves to be that privileged temple. You know, it's not that this church is so fantastic that God was just so inclined to make this community His dwelling place. This is all because of Jesus. Because He tabernacled among us. Because He took on flesh for us. Because He became sin and hung on that cross in our place. And so no, we are not good enough. But God's grace is surely enough. This is the same grace that will see you pick up your Bibles each day. This is the same grace that will stir your heart to draw nearer to God day by day. This is the same grace that will cause you to shine faithfully. Maybe that's not going to happen this week. Maybe that's not going to happen this month. But in God's good time, His grace will be proven to be enough. People, His grace is enough. And so let us rest even in our doing. Can I invite the deacons to come forward? Pastor Tom as well. Uh, Very soon the elements will be distributed for the taking of the Lord's Supper. And if you're not a Christian in our midst, I want to invite you to just observe what is going on. Uh, You don't need to feel obligated to take and to participate in any of these things. For the rest of us, let's stand to our feet. Let's sing this song together. We come into the Holy of Holies and we come by the blood of the Lamb. And we don't come on our own accord. We come on the grounds that Jesus, our Savior, He is the one who takes us in. Truly, His grace is enough. Let's sing together. To the holy place, past the brazen altar, Lord, I want to see your face. Pass me by the crowds of people and the priests who sing your praise. I hunger and thirst for your righteousness, but it's only found in one place. listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website 
at www.agape.org.sg.